You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. If you have your Bible, then hopefully you do, uh, open up to Exodus chapter 4 this morning, uh, where we're going to be. Uh, we're not doing the whole chapter, so don't worry. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 through 17, and we're going to talk about those as we go through this morning, because uh, we do also are uh, taking part in communion this morning. So uh, as you're opening up to Exodus chapter 4, a uh, quick word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for this passage this morning. Thank you for the way that you've used it in my life, and I pray that you would that you'd use it in all of our lives this day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would that you'd work today, that you would teach us, that you would equip us, that you would send us. We give this morning to you, Lord, and we ask that your blessings would be upon it. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work, that you'd use me just as a tool in your hand. And that you'd give us all ears to hear and a heart to respond to your word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the best month of the year. Uh, it is October. Uh, Bethany and I have birthdays in October, maybe why it's the best month out of the year. Uh, but October is an amazing month, and uh, so welcome to it. Uh, but last week, if you're here, uh, we did all of chapter 3, which is going to be the norm for our study in Exodus. Uh, there's going to be a couple weeks where we do about four or five chapters on a morning, but we'll hit that, don't worry. Uh, but I, last week, I told you as we went through chapter 3 and also chapter 4, these two chapters are very special to me in the sense that God used these chapters, mainly the passage that we see this morning, to push me into becoming a pastor. Um, When I um, started to preach, I would fill in for different pastors when they needed to go on vacation. Uh, Because you may not know this, but a pastor going on vacation is unlike any other job. Because in order for a pastor to go on vacation, they have to find someone to fill in for them. Like you can go on vacation and you don't have to worry about anybody filling in for you. I go on vacation, I can only go on vacation if I'm able to find someone to fill in for me. And that's not the easiest thing out there. Uh, And so when I started to preach, I would just fill in for people. I actually preached here in October of 2005. Uh, when that pastor went on vacation, Bob actually showed me where to park that morning because the parking lot wasn't even paved yet. Uh, I still remember that. Uh, but being on a pastor, uh, <clears throat> being a pastor, and going on vacation is a little bit different. But in that. It was different when I would go and fill in for men because I could just preach the same sermon at different churches, right? Uh, Nobody knew the difference. It was no problem. But when I came here as a full-time pastor in June of 2007, it was a little bit different. One of the scariest, if not the scariest, aspect of becoming a full-time pastor for me was this— actually coming up with something every Sunday to preach on. Like, that was terrifying to me. Like, you may not think it's terrifying. Uh, 
if you don't think it's terrifying, let me know and you could preach next Sunday. And then I'll tell you to preach the following Sunday too. Like it's just one of those things. I, I, I was afraid of what I was going to be able to preach on. And I remember sitting in the office every week going, Lord, I need something. There, there was so much of a stress and a worry and a downright fear to all of it. Like, what am I going to preach on? But I want to show you something. Uh, Tom told me I might have some stuff behind the picture. Oh, no, it's good. No, nothing up there. All right? So this is a picture that I took. And some of you are like, well, what is that? I can't even see this. We have a new remote, all right? So it's not red anymore. It's green, all right? And this is just sunlight, okay? And some of you are, and this is a blue pen. Bob, you know that, right? Bob got me hooked on these pens, all right? And, and all this is, that is every sermon that I have preached since 2007. Well, except for the last three and this morning's. But that stack of paper is almost two feet tall. That is almost, and I have the pen here for reference, all right? Not that you could tell it, right? But that is every sermon that I have preached here in 2007. Are they in order? Yes, okay? Uh, it's just the way I, way I do things, all right? And the reason I'm showing this to you is not to be like, hey, and this doesn't include Bible studies. This doesn't include men groups, uh, men's group. It doesn't include Sunday school. It doesn't include youth groups. Like those, those things, like we'd be like, there's not enough room on my desk, okay? This is only sermons that I have preached here since 2007. And the reason I show that to you is this. God met me in my fear. I told you that my fear coming to be a pastor was, okay, what am I going to preach on every Sunday? And for the first two, two and a half years I was here, I didn't get a vacation because I didn't have anybody to fill in for me. And so God met me in the fear. That's why I show you that photo. You see, as you and I continue our look at Moses this morning meeting the I Am, we're going to see that God meets Moses in his fear and his worry, just like he did with me and just like he will with you. Because God will meet you in your fear, but in that, God wants you to respond to him in a way. And what that is, is this. It's obedience. God wants you and I to obey and to do what he is asking you to do as he meets you in your fear. And here's why. Obedience fortifies faith, while disobedience fortifies fear. Let me tell you that again. Obedience fortifies faith, while disobedience fortifies fear. That as you and I obey the Lord, God does a work in us that enables our faith in Him to grow, to strengthen, to mature. But as you disobey then what happens is this. Fear grows. Fear traps us. And fear keeps us from doing what the Lord wants us to be doing. And so I have three things for you this morning. We have Moses and what if. And we have Moses and I have. And Moses and his request. And so we have to start here. 
Moses and what if. I'm not reading all the verses to you this morning, all right? So you got to, our series in Exodus would be a lot longer if I read every verse. But I want to read to you just a a little bit of uh, Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to read to you the first three verses. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. We're just going to pause right there for for right now. Last week in chapter 3, we saw that Moses met the I Am, that God met with God, uh, Moses met with God, that God meets with Moses in the burning bush. And just remember, chapter 4, Moses is still in front of the burning bush. Like, they haven't gone out for coffee, the locations haven't changed, it's still Moses in front of the burning bush. And we saw last week that Moses is called by God to go back to Egypt and get the Israelites out of Egypt. But what did we see last week? Moses gives two excuses. He goes, who am I to do that? I can't do that. And we talked about that excuse. And then Moses came up with another excuse after the first one didn't work. He goes, well, I don't have all the answers. I I don't have the answers to their questions. What if they ask me this? What am I supposed to tell them? And we looked at that excuse. And in all of that, God goes to Moses, I am who I am. That God gave Moses his name, telling him, showing him, Because Moses, I'm God. I am the ever and all becoming one, as we talked about last week. He goes, I am the answer to all that you need. He goes, I'm the answer to everything, Moses. And then the Lord goes to Moses. Moses, here's what I need you to do. You need to go tell the elders of Israel that I've sent you and that they need to agree with you and to get ready to get out. And then I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him that you need to take your people on a vacation. Because Pharaoh's not going to let you take them but I'm going to force his hand. And sooner or later, he will allow you to go. And so God had told Moses everything. But Moses, talking to God in a burning bush, is not sold yet. He's not obeying yet. Here's my question to you. What would it take for you to obey God? Because so far with Moses, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, and a bush on fire, talking to him, still is not enough to get him to obey. And so God has just told Moses everything that's going to happen. And Moses goes, excuse number three. Ready? Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? What if they don't listen to me? I want you to see that. Moses goes, what if they do not believe me? What if they listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He goes, a staff, he replied. I want you to remember verse 2. We're going to come back to that in a little bit about the staff in his hand, okay? But God goes, Moses, go talk to the Israelites. They're going to get on board with you. Then go to Pharaoh. Tell him that you're leaving. And then right after that, Moses goes, what if? What if? That's excuse number three. What if? Do you ever play the what if game? You have. We've all played the what if game. What if I, what if they do this? What if they say that? 
What if that person does this? Or what if that person does that? Well, what if they don't like the sermon? What if they don't come back to church? You've all played the what-if game. Do you know where the what-if game comes from? It comes from fear. It comes from worry. We're afraid of what might happen. What might happen. Now some of you know that I used to study psychology. It's been a long, long time. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that they've actually done studies on this. Do you know that most of the things that you spend most of your time worrying about will never happen? Do you realize that? They've done studies on that. Your main worries will never happen. We sit there going, what happens if I'm in the kitchen and a plane crashes into the house while I'm making tacos? What do I do? Is that ever going to happen? Probably not. Or you're sitting there going, what if I'm stuck in the middle of the ocean on a floaty duck? Right? You know those ducks that just float in the ocean? And float? Do you ever get in the ocean? No, I don't go in the ocean, but I just spend a lot of time worried about floating in the ocean on a rubber duck. It's not going to happen. If, you don't, if you're not even getting in the ocean, it's not going to happen. We worry about so many things that aren't even going to happen that we play the what-if game every single day. We go, what if this and what if that and what if that? Who knows? Hear me on this. Fear and worry come because you don't trust God. You can argue that with me all day long, but you're wrong. I'm right. Fear and worry come because we don't trust God. See, when you play the what-if game, you're trying to figure something out on your own. You're trying to accomplish something by your own power and your own abilities. And you're not allowing God to do it. You're not depending upon Him because you don't trust the Lord. Moses goes, what if they don't believe me, God? What if I go back there and they don't believe me? And what Moses is talking about is this. What if I go back there, talk to the elders of the nation of Israel, and they don't believe that you sent me? What if they don't believe me? And they think I'm a nutcase, and so they throw me out. What do I do then, Lord? What if? Now, that's a good question. If I told you you need to walk across the desert, get back to a people that you haven't seen in 40 years, and tell them that God sent you to deliver them, and you go, what if they don't believe me? That's a perfectly fine and good question. And I don't have a problem with Moses asking that or playing that what-if game except for this reason. If you look back in chapter 3 and verse 18, God tells them this, the elders of Israel will listen to you. God goes, Moses, they are going to listen to you. I promise you, they will listen to you. And then what does Moses immediately say? What if they don't? This is why God is God and I'm not. Because at that point, you slap the person upside the back of the head. I just told you that they're going to believe you, Moses. And Moses goes, what if they don't? He doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust Him at all. Why do you keep telling the Lord, what if? 
Why is it when it comes to the things that God has laid upon your heart that He's asking you to do, that He's calling you to do, you keep sitting back going, well, what if? What if this or what if that? Maybe God has placed it on your heart to give more financially, but you sit back going, well, what if? What if this? What if that? Maybe God has placed something on your heart to share the gospel with somebody. You go, well, what if this or what if that? And so you don't do it. Maybe it's to invite somebody to church. and You go, what if this or what if that? Why do you keep telling God what if? Don't you trust Him? See, the Lord is going to meet Moses once again in his fear and worry. And God does that by giving Moses three signs that Moses can do to prove that God sent him. And God does the same thing with you. Is God going to let you turn a stick into a snake? Probably not. That would be quite amazing because I do that all day long up and down Main Street in Plymouth. But he's not going to do that, right? But what God will do and what God is doing right now in your life is this. Look back over the course of your life and look at all the times where God took care of you. Where God goes, I'm right here. I've done this. I've got you. And so the Lord gives Moses three signs, and I'm not going to read these signs to you. And these signs do speak to Egypt. And you're like, Pastor, I really wanted to learn about these signs. We will. All right? In a couple chapters, Moses is going to do these, and we will talk about them a little bit more in depth then. All right? But what God does to Moses, he goes, Moses, take the rod, the shepherd's rod, throw it down on the ground. And Moses does that. It turns into a snake, and I love it, because Moses goes, I ran away. Right? Here's God freaking out Moses, who is 80, by turning a stick into a snake. Right? It was fantastic. And then God goes, Moses, grab the snake by its tail. Now, you may not know this, but grabbing a snake by the tail is not the smartest thing to do, okay? And so there's a lot here that I'm not bringing forth to you this morning. So Moses reaches down, he grabs the snake by the tail, turns back into a rod. And then God goes, Moses, if that's not enough to get the people of Israel to believe you, do this. How many of you ever seen a picture of Napoleon? You put your hand, his hand in the coat. This is what God tells Moses to do. Moses, put your hand in your coat. Moses does. He pulls it out. It's all leprosy. Skin disease on it, right? That probably freaked Moses out too, right? And then God goes, put it back in your coat. So Moses puts it back in his coat, pulls it out. It's healed. And God goes, that's sign number two. If they don't believe the first one with the snake, do the leprosy thing. They'll believe you. And then he goes, but Moses, if they don't listen to you on that, take water from the Nile. Remember, we'll, we'll unpack these more when, when we get through the plagues and Moses in there, okay? He goes, take water from the Nile and pour it out. He goes, when you pour that water out, I'll, I'll turn it to blood. So that's what God tells Moses to do. He goes, Moses, they will listen to you, but because you doubt me, Moses... I'll enable you to do these three signs to give more weight, to give more credit to what you're saying. So now here's my question. If God is standing there in a burning bush talking to you, just freaked you out by turning a uh, rod into a snake, had your hand become leprosy and then healed it, and then told you that you'll be able to turn water into blood, would you go back and get His people would that be enough for you to obey God? Some of you are going, yes, 
All of you, because you're sitting in church, are saying yes. But if we're honest, most of you are going to do the same thing that Moses did. Come up with another excuse. Because that's what we do. We always do. It's it's human nature. You would think that Moses would be like, okay, I'm ready to go. He goes, nah, I I got something else for you, God. I got something else. He comes up with excuse number four, or if you're going by the bulletins this morning, excuse number two. And it's this one. Moses and I have. And I have the little dots after I have because you need to fill that blank in this morning for yourself. But Moses says this in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him makes the deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I'll help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses goes, I have a speech issue. What's your issue? These are my verses. In this sense. I cannot tell you how often that I think of these. This was my excuse. These verses. And some of you know it because I've told you this a lot over the years. But since I'm preaching on it, you get to hear it again. I have this. I don't have the same speech issue that Moses had, but I do have a speech issue. About eight or nine years in speech class growing up, there are a lot of words that I can't say. I'll say things backwards in sentences. And there's a lot of times I can't get the word that I can say in my mind out of my mouth. I can't do it. And you go, God, that's the person you want to be a pastor? The one with the speech issues? You want him to stand in front of people and teach your word? There's absolutely no way, God. I'll be honest with you, if this section was not in the Scriptures, I don't know if I would have become a pastor. You see, Moses comes up with another excuse. He seems to be good at excuse making, doesn't he? But aren't we all? We're all very good at it. Can we get a little nerdy for a second? You didn't answer. Yeah, okay, some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are afraid. What do he means? Okay, last week I told you something about God's name. Do any of you remember it? All right? I, last week I told you that the name I am when you read the Bible, is the name Lord, but all the letters in that name Lord are capitalized, but they're just smaller. Remember me telling you that, right? And I told you that is the highest covenantial name of God in the Scriptures, right? I want you to notice something. In your Bible, all right, it says, uh, when it says Moses said to the Lord, that word Lord there is I am, Right? It's that high covenantal name of God. But notice in those first couple of words, Moses isn't talking to God there. He's just saying, this is what I said to God, all right? And then you go here, he goes, oh, Lord. You see that word Lord there? It's not the name I am. In your Bibles, all those letters are small case, except for the L. Moses does not use the 
highest covenantial name of God. When he says, O Lord, what he is actually saying is, O Adonai. Adonai is a, means Lord, but it's not at the level of I am. It is a general name for God. It's a general name for Lord. And it does mean your master. It does mean your Lord. But it's not at the level of going, I am. It's kind of like a child coming up to her parent. Like, so Josiah comes up to me and goes, James, what's up? Instead of going, Dad, right? It doesn't meet that, that level. Are you with me on that? And why is that so important? Because Moses is not looking at God as he is the I am. He's just going, your Lord. And in that, Moses is still looking at himself. He's still depending upon himself. He's still trying to trust himself. He's still trying to find all the answers in and of himself. Moses goes, Lord, I don't speak well. I have a speech issue. He goes, I'm not eloquent. And to you and I, that may not be anything big, but for the Egyptians, it was huge. History tells us that the Egyptians loved eloquent speakers, that they were trained for this. Moses goes, I'm not eloquent. And then he also goes on to say, he goes, I'm slow in speech. Some of you, depending on the Bible translation you have, it may actually say that he stuttered. Because that is what some translations put, that he stuttered. Can you imagine Moses having a stuttering problem? You all think of Charleston Heston in the movie Ten Commandments. He doesn't stutter, does he? Moses goes, I have a speech problem. The problem with this, though, comes when Stephen in Acts chapter 7 tells us that before Moses left Egypt the first time, before he killed the man, that he was mighty in word and deed. And so Stephen gives us the picture that Moses was good with his words before he fled to Midian. So what happened? I don't know. <clears throat> Perhaps Moses lost confidence in his speaking ability. How would your speaking ability be if you only got to talk to sheep for 40 years? Probably not all that good. Remember COVID? Nobody knew how to talk to each other anymore, right? Same thing, right? Maybe Moses forgot how to speak Egyptian. He hasn't spoken Egyptian in 40 years. Maybe he forgot how to do that. I took four years of German class. I could say like six words, right? That's about it, right? Maybe Moses had an accident. Maybe a sheep kicked him in the throat or something one day. Accidents happen and can damage the voice box. Maybe something like that happened. We don't know. What we do know is that Moses goes, God, I have a speech issue. What's your issue? What is the issue that you use when God goes, I want you to do this? Where you go, Lord, I would gladly do that if it wasn't for this. I have, and you could fill in the blank. Can I tell you something? And I mean this in all love. We're all broken. We all have issues. And I say that in the hopes of you being able to breathe a little bit. See, you think your family is the only one with family issues. I've been doing this long enough, almost two decades now, I can tell you that every single family on the face of the planet has their issues, right? I can tell you that, right? So do you. You have your brokenness. You have your weaknesses. You have your faults. You have the things that you struggle with. We all do. And God goes to Moses, and I love this response. He goes, Moses... 
Who gave man his mouth? Go, Moses, who made the, the man deaf or the man mute? Because Moses, who do you think created everybody? The Lord goes, Moses, it's me. He goes, I know what you have. I'm the, I'm the creator. Moses, I know your weakness. He goes, I know your issue. I know that, and I'm still calling you to this in light of your issue. You see, all that you are, God has put there. See, all your faults, all your weaknesses, and your issues, they're all there for you to use them to the glory of God. Because God's grace and His power, His presence, is made perfect and is seen and visible in and through our weaknesses when we use them for God's glory. See, God does not make mistakes. He didn't make a mistake when He gave me a speech issue. He didn't make a mistake. And hopefully, prayerfully, He uses that for His glory. I know the issues and the faults and the weaknesses that we have are our struggle at times. And there are things that you wrestle with on a daily basis. But it's in those weaknesses that His power is displayed. And it's oftentimes it's in and through those weaknesses and those issues and those faults that God wants to use those, use you to bring glory to Him, to benefit others, and to bless you in all of it. I've always heard this, that God is more concerned with your availability than with your ability. Did you get that? God is more concerned with your availability than your ability. He doesn't care about your ability. He doesn't care about my ability because it's not about you or me. What He cares about is are you willing to do what I'm asking you to do? That's what He cares about. So, and I say this with all respect. Stop using the issue, the handicap, the weakness, the faults that you have as an excuse to not do what God is leading you to do. And come before God and go, God, I am broken. I struggle with this and I can't do that. But here I am. Work through me. That's what God wants. And He will meet you there. That's what Paul did. Paul tells the Corinthian church, he goes, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words. I came to you with fear and trembling. Paul, afraid to speak. Maybe he had a speech issue. Don't know. Maybe he did. Moses doesn't do it. He just uses it as an excuse. But look what God does. He meets Moses here again. He goes to Moses. He goes, I will help you. Verse 12, he goes, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God meets Moses in his fears, in his weaknesses. People often say to me that they don't see my speech issue. There's two reasons for that. Mainly because of Jesus. Because he has done a work in me on that to a great deal. And second, I do work very, very hard for it not to come out. You see, when you bring your issues and your faults to the Lord and use them, God goes, okay, I'll help you. 
and teach you. I'll use you. I'll strengthen you. Whatever it is, He says to you, but you need to bring it to the Lord to be used. Allow God to use your issue instead of you using it as an excuse. Like Moses did. So what's your issue? So Moses has said, I can't. He has said, I don't have the answers. He has said, what if? And he goes, I have this issue. So what's excuse number five? Because you think after God has done all of this, Moses would be like, yes, let's go and do this. Nope, last one. Moses and his request, verses 13 to 17. I'm going to read to you uh, just verses 13 and 14. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. Moses goes, Lord, please send someone else to do it. What did Moses just do? He literally stopped with the excuses. No more excuses. Moses was truthful. And he got to the point, he goes, okay, Lord, you refuted every excuse that I've given you, so I'll just be truthful. I don't want to do it. Send someone else. This is you and I more than we would like to admit. God, I hear what you want me to do. God, I understand what you're asking me to do. But honestly, I don't want to do it. Send someone else. You see, the truth, more times than not, is not that we can't do it, but we won't do it. Did you get that? More times than not, it's not that you can't do it. It's that you won't. There's a big difference between won't and can't. Did you know that? I know a lot of people that tell me they can't cut grass. You know who helps me every week when I cut grass? You all tell me Josiah, which is true, but so does Noah. Noah was cutting grass yesterday. Driving the wheelchair with one hand, pushing the lawnmower with the other. So often in our lives, it's not that we can't do something. It's because you won't do it. And we go, Lord, send someone else. I've gone back and forth on this because I can lay a guilt trip on you that is amazing and I don't want to do it. But I have to bring it up a little bit because it's been on my heart. This is the mindset in the church. And I'll say the capital C church. I'll tell you the American church. And it's a general statement. It doesn't include every single person. But the mindset in the church is this. 
I don't want to go to church today. I want to do something else so someone else can go. I don't want to give financially to the church. I'd rather spend money on something else that I don't really need. So somebody else can give to the church. You do know that just for us to pay our bills on a normal month is probably between eight and $10,000 every month to pay heat, insurance, utilities. Just letting you know that. The church needs a Sunday school teacher. We've only been asking for a year and a half. I won't do it. I don't want to do it. It might take up some of my time. I'll let somebody else do it. Have a work day at the church. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go do something else. And so three people come and spend nine hours here on a day. Do the work. Invite somebody else to church? I don't really want to do that either. I'll let somebody else do that. And we can come up with reasons as to why we can't do whatever it is. But the truth is, more times than not, you and I don't want to do what God wants us to be doing. This was Moses. He just finally got to the point where he tells the Lord flat out, I don't want to do it. Send someone else. And at this, we, at this we read that the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Is God angry with you? Well, Pastor, God doesn't get mad, angry at me. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in Christ. If you believe that, you're wrong. I can't stand up here and tell you that God is always happy and pleased with you and everything is amazing. Because that's not always the case. There are times that God is displeased with you. There are times that God is angry with you. Does that mean He doesn't love you anymore? No. When my kids misbehave and I have anger towards them because of what they did, it doesn't mean it doesn't cancel my love out. If I'm displeased with my kids, it doesn't mean I no longer love them. But God does that with us. Does it mean you lose your salvation if God is angry with you? No, that's signed, sealed, and delivered in Christ. It does mean that God is upset at you because you won't do what He's calling you to do. You see, if you can sit there and know that there's something that God wants you to be doing, but you won't do it, there is a chance that God's anger is turned up a little bit against you. Now, when I say that, don't run and hide and shudder. Go, no, no. Let me just run away from God. Don't do that. Because even in that, God still meets you where you are. God is angry with Moses, and so what does God do? Moses, fine. I'll use your brother. What about Aaron? He can talk for you. He goes, Aaron's on his way. So here's what we'll do, Moses. I'll meet you where you are. You don't want to do it. I still want to use you. So I'm going to tell you what needs to be said. And then you can tell Aaron. And then Aaron can tell everybody else. And so God meets Moses where he's at once again. Even though God is angry with him. But here's the thing about Aaron and Moses. Did you know that this is more of a punishment than a blessing? Have you ever worked with family? Not always the best thing. 
Do you know that Aaron will be a thorn in the side of Moses? That on at least two occasions, Aaron leads the nation of Israel away from God? And Moses has to come in and fix the situation? God giving to you what you want is not always a blessing. Sometimes it's a punishment. Why won't you do what God is calling you to do? Why don't you want to do it? I hear the reasons. I have them too. But when the dust settles, is it because you won't do it? Or because you think you can't? I told you to remember verse 2. Moses is like, what if they don't believe me? And God goes, what's in your hand? And Moses goes, it's a stick. God goes, perfect. Let's use the stick. And God uses that stick to do great things in and through the life of Moses. Do you know that that stick becomes called the rod of God in this book? What is God calling you to do? What is it that God has and is laying on your heart to do for Him? Stop with the reasons and the excuses. Why not to do it? Let God take what is in your hand. What's in your hand? Maybe it's a pen. Maybe it's a keyboard. Maybe you have young kids and you have diapers in your hands all the time. Maybe it's a phone. Maybe it's an ability. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's the lawnmower that you use to cut your grass, but you can use to cut somebody else's grass. But what is in your hand that you can go, okay, God, take this and use it for all that you have, all that you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, and go, Lord, this is me, this is what I have. Use it. Use me. That you come before God and go, Lord, let me be the tool in your hand for your glory and for your kingdom. Will you obey him? For you see, as I told you in the beginning, as you obey the Lord, he will do a work in you that fortifies your faith and your trust and your dependence upon him. But if you disobey, all those fears, all those worries, all those thoughts of I can't because of this, that, and the other thing will grow and continue to grow and keep you from being used by the Lord and for His glory. So I encourage you this week to take a step of obedience, even if it's a small one. Learn from Moses and see that in the hands of God, that even a broken and flawed individual can be used mightily by God to simply by obeying and letting God use you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. You don't need to be a member of the church to take communion with us. We do ask that if you've not put your faith and your trust in Christ, that you don't take communion. We won't think any less of you or anything along those lines. As I pray, I'm going to ask the gentleman that I've asked to help me to make your way to the back. Father God, thank you for today. I thank you for 
meeting us in our fears and our worries, Lord. I pray that you would meet us, that you'd work in us and allow us to be strengthened by you. Father, I pray that you'd use us in our weaknesses and in our faults, that you would be glorified in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.